This episode of The Enhancement Talent is brought to you by Woohoo, the new alcoholic chocolate drink from Nature Boy Ric Flair. Now available in milk chocolate, dark chocolate, and new roofy free varieties. They say that the clothes make the man. If that's true, then the wrestlers we spotlight this week on the enhancement talent aren't made of much. Join us as we highlight, or maybe we should say low light, our picks for the top 10 worst ring attire of all time. All right. Thanks again for listening to another episode of the Enhancement Talent Podcast. I'm your host, the man in the rafters, the one they call Tony Lopez. With me tonight, as always, the other half of the fabulous Lopez cousins, Dr. Bob Lopez. How you doing tonight, Bob? Doing good, sir. How about yourself? Doing great. Doing great. Busy week this week. Been all over the place, but I love to cap off my weeks with the show, man. So here we are. How about yourself? How's your week been? I agree. It's definitely a highlight of the week to always end up enjoying this uh sunday monday whatever night we decide to do it but uh evenings talk about wrestling with you boys yes most definitely and joining us to talk about wrestling as always on beautiful Cary, illinois the warsaw blonde himself adam kulavik how you doing tonight adam doing good and i agree 100 percent. definitely the best way to cap out the weekend lord knows football doesn't do shit for us uh on sundays <laughs> Always leave it to you. It'll bring up the Bears, Adam. Oh, yeah, the Bears and the Packers this week. Got a double whammy of suck. Yeah. The way the Packers pulled yet another one out of their ass. I'm counting down the days until the games until Rodgers' ass is somewhere else. Oh, I don't think you have to wait too much longer. He's pretty much said that it's this year, and then he's pretty much gone. Yeah, well, we'll see. Terry Funk also retired 25 times, guys. <laughs> it's my last match. It's my last match. Except, except you know, I, 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 I'd actually be sad to see Terry Funk retire and not uh, that Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, well, but yes, uh, yes, it's uh, it's always a great way to to cap off our week for sure. I'm looking forward to another great show. Yeah, I'm I'm just going to refuse to talk about the Bears this week, you know. So. Well, you're yeah. talking about them as much as uh, the, the uh, offensive line did their jobs today, which is zero. Yeah. I'm just going to leave it there. I'm not. And their coach is Tom Stone and a, a yes. jobber, and that's all I'm going to say. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway. Tom Stone. Tom Stone. Ugh. But anyway. Moving on, let's get on to some wrestling news this week. Um, yeah, what's new in the world of wrestling? I guess tonight was uh, Extreme Rules, the WWE pay per view. <laughs> I didn't watch it. Did you guys watch? Any of it? I, I looked at the results because I figured you'd bring up bring it up, and I just kind of went, "Oh, okay," and uh, went on uh, my merry way. Yeah. How about you, Bob? Did you see any of it? I didn't even know it was on tonight. That's how uh, <laughs> I, I realized halfway through it that it was on. And then 
I thought it was funny that the pay-per-view is called Extreme Rules, but yet none of the matches had Extreme Rules, like, in it. And then yeah. the, the one match that was for the women's title ended up in a disqualification, which I thought defeated the concept of having a pay-per-view called Extreme Rules. So, yeah. Um, Becky and Bianca. Um, Bianca's going for a finisher. Sasha Banks comes out, attacks her, and match ends in a disqualification. But yet I thought it's extreme rules. There shouldn't be any rules. So uh, I'm just very confused. It sounds very WCW-ish to me. Yeah. Yeah, technically... I'm sorry. Go ahead, Tony. No, I was looking at the, the matchup, the match lineup tonight. And technically, yeah, the only the only match that was technic that was quote unquote extreme rules was the the title match, which was uh which was a uh Balor. What's it called? Roman Re- Roman Reigns versus Finn Balor. That was the only one that was technically uh a no disqualification match. So I guess the pay-per-view should have been just called Extreme Rule instead of Extreme Rules, you know. So yeah, it's just fucking stupid. It's it goes hand in hand with what WWE is going as far as their booking is concerned. You know, you have a whole pay-per-view that's supposed to be filled with matches where like anything goes, and yeah, you don't even adhere to that. So yeah, that's what I was gonna say. I was looking up uh, the the uh, results, see what happened, and all that. And I'm you know I'm out of the loop on the pay-per-views sometimes, and I I'm like. But these should all be under some sort of, you know, extreme rules, right? You know, some, you know, different types of matches, you know. And no, like you said, just the main event. I thought that was strange myself, so. Yeah, it's fucking dumb. But, yeah, I saw some of the results, too. Um, It kind of came over my phone because... I'm subscribed to get a ESPN notification notes, and for whatever reason, ESPN or uh, WWE results come in on ESPN notifications now. So, um, really, yeah. Well, I guess if you if you follow if you follow um, WWE as an option on ESPN, um, they'll give you push notifications. I'm so on. yeah, yeah. So I was I was getting results all night, and I saw that. Even though I didn't see the match, I saw that Roman Reigns beat um, Finn Balor in the main event, which kind of, uh, in my opinion, destroys the whole mystique of the demon character. Because, you know, up to this point, whenever Finn Balor fights as the demon character, he is undefeated. But, hey, whatever. I don't care at this point. (laughs) You know, I just I really don't care at this point. WWE just lo- they've they've had me lost as far as uh book as far as their bookings concerned. They j- it just makes no sense. So yeah. Oh, there it is. Okay. Yeah, you got it. I got it. Yeah. I'm excited now. So, it's a little thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Well, that 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 was extreme rule. Uh, I guess. Uh, <laughs> But over in the land of AEW were things, I mean, and I don't want it to sound like we're busting on WWE because I want WWE to be good. I really do. Um, I think we all do. Yeah. It's just, yeah. you know, you got to 
call it as you see it, though. You know what I mean? I mean, uh, uh, personally, for myself, uh, you know, I was very bored with WWE quite some time ago, and AEW has reinvigorated my interest in wrestling these days because uh, they're delivering shows the way I, I, I like them personally as a fan. So um, I'll, I'll sing their praises all day. I, I don't care. <laughs> yeah. No, I'll... I'll... I mean, AEW has been doing everything right as far as their booking, as far as how they've been doing their shows. Everything's clicking on all cylinders for AEW right now. Uh, I just wish WWE would kind of follow their follow their path a little bit more. Sure. And things would get a hell of a lot more interesting. Um, but speaking of AEW, this past week they had their stand at the uh, Arthur Ashe Stadium in New York, and that kicked off on Wednesday with uh, the – um, Grand Slam Dynamite episode that they had. Um, we'll talk about, uh, you know, the the matches in a little bit more detail, or the this particular match in a little bit more detail, the kickoff match. Uh, Dan, Brian Danielson versus uh, the AEW champion, Kenny Omega. We'll get into that in a little bit more detail later on down the line because I have a feeling that uh, our match of the week is probably all going to be the same this week. <laughs> um, yeah, we shall see as we uh, go into this week. We'll see what happens on Dynamite. So we'll see where all these stories are going. And like I said, don't want to. We don't want to be uh, portrayed as uh, WWE haters either. Like I said, we didn't really watch Extreme Rules tonight. It could have been a really good event, for all we know. It just from the results and how everything was set up, it just didn't really uh, didn't really hold our uh, our attention very much. So we'll see what happens. We'll we'll look at the feedback, and you know, maybe one you know one of these nights I'll actually watch it and see if it was any good. If it was, I'll eat my words. But if not, hey, whatever. Uh, you know, WWE has some work to do. You, so you could rewatch. Yeah. Uh, you could rewatch Sting and Darby Allen against FTR, which you forgot to bring up. We could, yeah. Cause which, which I, uh, of course, I forgot to bring up. That was on Dynamite. How can I forget that match? FTR is so yeah, Sting. Watch, man. Like I love FTR. Yeah, they, they've they've been my favorite tag team since they were the revival in NXT. Yeah. And they worked their asses off mm-hmm. in that match. They made they made Sting, sixty two year old Sting. They made <laughs> him look. They made him look like, like a fucking million bucks, yep. man. Yeah. Oh my god, Sting he pull, pulling off a high a high cross body from the top rope, man. How how about that? Yep. And um, Ricky Steamboat was smiling big. I can, <laughs> I can tell you that for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like but, I told you, Tony, I, I I forget he's sixty-two. I mean, for for that age, I mean, he could he could move around pretty good. I mean, you look at other sixty-year-old men, a lot of who are coaches or, you know, whatever. Uh, yeah, uh, big credit to him for being able to keep up out there. Yeah, yeah, but that was a really good match. I'm, for, I'm sorry, I forgot to mention it, but yeah, that that match between uh, FTR and Darby Allen and Sting was really solid. It, it, I probably aside from uh you know the the Brian Danielson Kenny Omega match which we'll talk about later it was probably the second best match of the night that night so yeah big ups to uh Darby Allen of course we know how solid he is and big ups to Sting Sting you know really came for it and really brought it uh, you know on 
in that match. And big ups to FTR too, because like I said, it it takes everybody to make a great match. And those guys, those guys, as far as tag teams go, are on another level. So. Darby yeah. essentially doing a coffin drop on the edge of the ring apron. That was fucking insane. Yeah, it was. Yeah, definitely was. All right. Well, that's our recap of the wrestling this week. So that being said, let's get into our topic at hand this week. Um, what we're going to be talking about this week, uh, we, you know, a few about a, about a month or two ago, I believe uh, we did a mat. We did a show about our, top 10 uh best ring attires of all time and we never got a chance to do the reverse of that one so we're gonna do that this week this week we're going to tackle our top 10 worst wrestling attires of all time um yeah this one i found it you know easy on one hand but hard on the other because professional wrestling has a really long history of just shitty ring attires for their wrestlers you know just ridiculous just flat out everything from being boring to just being flat out ridiculously bad and just going back and seeing all all the just horrible ring attires in here just made me laugh all week mm-hmm. i'm just like oh god i forgot about this one i forgot about this one what the fuck were they thinking when it came to this one and you know when it comes to a lot of our worst of episodes that's it, it kind of goes with all of them and i i like doing these worst of episodes because they're fun to research and they're fun to talk about and i think we're gonna do that this week too um bob we'll start with you like what uh, how like, did you have that same kind of feeling going yeah. back and looking at these worst ring attires? Like, where you're just like, oh, my God, what the fuck? Easily, easily. Um, I, I always feel like there's so much fun to do just because it, um, you get to laugh about shit when you're doing, you know, these uh, these worst of shows. Just because, you know, you have WCW, you have the WWF, um, you know, those the 90s area where, you know, it was a lot of uh, cartoon gimmick stuff, and like you said, some of them, you you just pull up a picture of them, and you're like, holy fuck, I forgot about that. <laughs> you know, it's just like uh, whether it be just their complete outfit, whether it be one piece of attire, um, just so many different things. And then I think I was talking to you about it a couple of days ago, where it's like a lot of these sadly are refurbished. Uh, you know, you you get a bright colored leotard that one person wears and you're like, wow, I can't believe they're way that. And then all of a sudden you'll see another tag team wear that two, three years later. And you're like, are you serious? <laughs> you know, like they did yeah. it again. They did it again. So, uh, yeah, these, these are fun. I, I really enjoy these. It was, uh, like you said, it was kind of an easy list to compile, but at the same time, it was kind of like, there's so many that you could put on here easily because of all the crap we've gone through over the years. Yeah. How about you, Adam? What were your uh, feelings when researching this topic? Uh, it, it, my number one came to me rather quickly, um, maybe after two or three minutes of thought. Um, and then I kind of started to fill in the rest. And yeah, um, yeah, I love worse stuff. I, I love dumping on crap. It's 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 a fun hobby of mine. Um, yeah, so uh, when I look at my list, uh, there's some really bad ones for guys who just had that and, and really that killed their career or, or, or left it stuck in neutral. Uh, but I put a few on my list too, where the, the, where the reputable names that 
that uh, got some really crappy attire when they had a run in a certain company. Um, I don't know if, if they made the list or not, but uh, I guess we could get into that as we go. But but yeah, I also kept that in mind when I was making the list that you know somebody comes over from another federation and they just take what worked and they do a complete 180 and it's just uh instead of being laughably bad i feel sorry for the person who was so over and then gets killed by crap you know again as we mentioned during the best ring attires show um presentation it's a big deal when you come out for that first time you know what's the reaction going to be is the crowd going to be into you you know is the crowd going to dig your music are they going to dig your attire your how you know you know the whole package before you know they judge you before you get in the ring and if you've got really shitty attire and a really shitty presentation you know you're halfway dead already and you really have to work hard to get yourself over so uh some some legends were unfortunate victims of shitty uh attire as well but a lot of these on the list they're just yeah going back and going oh oh my word i forgot about this and for good reason so i, I think listeners will have fun uh with this topic today yeah should be a good one so without further ado let's uh let's get into the list yeah like i said this this week's list our top 10 worst ring attires of all time uh like we do every week me adam and bob we compile our own separate lists and then we bring them together and based how our picks are ranked uh, we they're assigned a point value, and that goes into our master list rankings. Uh, we're going to go from 10 to 1, but like we do every week before we get to our top pick, we will go over some honorable mentions. These picks are picks that didn't get enough points to make the top 10, but did garner enough points to at least get a mention. All right, guys, let's start it off at number 10 this week. Hey, Bob, guess what? We got a tie. Yes. We yes, have sir. a tie at number 10. Each pick coming in with seven points. Uh, the first pick coming in at seven points got its seven points from being number four on Adam's list. We're talking about quite possibly one of the most famous debuts of all time. <laughs> the Shockmaster. Coming in, our first one tied here at number 10 with seven points. Adam, tell us about the Shockmaster's attire. I'm looking at a picture of it right now, and I'm just dying. Um, I, I believe we've talked about this on the worst gimmicks uh, of all time before, but um, Shockmaster was Fred Odman, who uh, is probably also best known as Tugboat in WWF. Uh, Tugboat, just to give you some, um, just to give you a little background, came to the ring wearing a sailor's hat and uh, and um, it, it, a striped uh, sailor shirt. And that was not the worst attire that Fred Ottoman ever had because the Shockmaster was a man who um, <clears throat> was supposed to debut on Flair for the Gold as a mystery partner of British Bulldog and Sting facing uh, Harlem Heat and Sid uh, Vicious. And uh, he happened to trip over a piece of wood backstage and fell through the wall. So he's, he certainly did shock people. But uh, uh, besides that, uh, he had some weird velvet black uh, vest on, jeans, and 
apparently this was Ole Anderson idea, a Star Wars Stormtrooper mask with glitter all over it. Boy, don't yeah. you want to pay yeah, as you, Boy, as don't you, you want to pay know. money to see this guy wrestle? Don't you yeah. don't you want to order the pay-per-view after seeing that? So he he falls and and the stormtrooper helmet comes off and you know you're not supposed to know it's tugboat or Fred Ottoman whatever you want to call him so he has to kind of scramble to put the helmet back on uh, Jesse Ventura breaks character and is laughing his ass off and uh, he has to give some crazy promo I think I think Oli did the promo uh, or something you're right. it wasn't Ottoman himself yeah Oli recorded some cryptic weirdo promo for him. Uh, I think later on, with the failure of the helmet, uh, Shockmaster wore a hard hat to the ring, which uh-huh. uh, you know, which wasn't, um, you know, he set the precedent for William Regal to do that later in the WWF. But, but uh, yeah, the guy just, you know, he looked like a guy who would climb up your telephone pole and fix your cable, um, and somehow this was supposed to make you want to watch him wrestle is supposed to get you excited. Uh, and, and, you know, WCW in the early nineties was just famous for, Oh, this guy from the WWS available. Let's, let's grab him Cause then the WWF won't have him. Never mind the fact that tugboat really couldn't wrestle very well and wasn't really over whatsoever. Uh, it doesn't matter cause it's a name. Well, it's 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 a it's a lousy mid carder name, and they just tried to spruce him up by uh, by uh, doing a fifth grade art project and putting it on the poor man. So uh, I mean, Shockmaster is probably thankful for the gimmick himself because people like us still talk about it to this day. But other than that, I can't imagine uh, <laughs> uh, any good coming of that. Uh, just again. Uh, how this inspires anyone to want to buy a ticket is, is beyond me. Yeah. Like I said, it's just infamously one of the worst, uh, Russell crap moments of all time, you know, just seeing Fred, poor Fred Ottman, uh, tripping his way through that, you know, paper mache wall and the, the helmet tumbling off and just that whole gimmick, just dying a horrible, f- horrible hilarious death you know it's just something that i think the wrestling gods knew was not gonna work so they just killed it in the most spectacular fashion uh, I, I, yeah i was just one. about to say who says god doesn't have a sense of humor yeah right uh bob do you have any uh thoughts on the Shockmasters attire <laughs> First of all, when you started singing, uh, when you started talking about Tugboat, his his theme song popped into my head right away. So I started doing the, uh, you know, no, that stuck in my head. But uh, yeah, I, I remember watching live when that happened. Uh, Flair was the host of that TV part of the show, and um, yeah, Oli Oli Anderson laughing hysterically because he was the one doing the voice, but yet he's cackling in the back. Uh, Sid Vicious is laughing at him. Uh, you know, uh, Booker T and the British Bulldog, they both break character and they're laughing. Um, yeah, it was just a huge clusterfuck, but yeah, it, it never made sense because, like you said, the uh, the stormtrooper helmet, uh, just lambasted in glitter and this the, the purple velvet, uh, you know, 
whatever the hell the vest he was wearing like this big fur vest and yeah it just <laughs> with his hands in his jeans when he stood up and he's trying to cut this promo <laughs> and then like you said afterwards that they, they they don't explain it and they just make him a construction worker and there's a shock master again because he's a construction worker um no it, it definitely deserves uh to be on the list no, I think they tried to play it off by saying he worked for like the electric company or yeah. some shit like that. Like electro. Yeah, so but whatever. Yeah, it was the first impressions are, hey, let's just go to the costume department, see what the fuck they have, and mm-hmm. just throw it on this guy and call him the shockmaster. I still think Oli's daughter maybe poured glitter all over his stormtrooper mask and he just brought it to work because what else are you gonna do with it at that point? Yeah, I guess. But, yeah, there we go. Our first uh, pick here tied at number 10 with seven points, the Shockmaster. And he is tied with the other one that's uh, here with seven points. Got the seven points from being number four on my personal list. We're talking about Saba Simba. (laughs) Tied with the Shockmaster at number 10 with seven points. Um, I'm just going to be... Plain and simple when it comes to Saba Simba. The, the whole the whole gimmick and the wardrobe just racist as fuck. I mean you can't yeah, you cannot say anything else about the character of Saba Simba. I get well, to explain it to people who don't know what it is, um Saba Simba was a gimmick given to uh the wrestler Tony Atlas, who of course wrestled in the seventies and eighties with the company. Uh, he was gone for a while, came back, and the gimmick that they gave him when he came back there in the early 90s was of Saba Simba, who is a um, the king of the jungle, I guess is what they were kind of going for. He was this uh, stereotypically dressed African warrior. Um, he had the, uh, the headpiece on. He came to the ring with a spear and a, and a shield. He wore a jungle print loincloth. It was just, man, it was offensive as fuck. I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, it was, you know, if, if, if Vince or anybody, anybody at that point had the self-awareness to see how fucked up that gimmick and that costume was, you know, back 30 years ago. It, it would have gotten nixed right away. But of course, like I said, it was the, it was the early nineties and they were just like, Hey, let's just, let's get this away. You know, he's a big muscular black dude. Let's make him a jungle warrior. And yeah, good on you guys. I guess you, I, I, Oh God. It's, it's one of those things where you just look at it now and just like, how the fuck did anybody think this was a good idea? And, you know, Tony Atlas himself uh, has been says like, yeah, I, I had some reservations when they gave me that gimmick, but what the fuck was I going to do? You know, it's, they had, it was a job. If I didn't do it, they were just going to give it to somebody else. So, and that's, that's horrible. You know, the, a guy like Tony Atlas deserved a fuck of a lot better <laughs> than Saba Simba. So yeah, that's why I had it at uh at my number four. Um, Bob, do you have anything to add when it comes to Saba Simba? So this is when I, when I first did my list, Saba Simba was on there, and again, that's all I kept thinking about was the racism part of it. Um, 
I uh, when I started doing the research, uh, Tony Atlas was homeless at the time that they called him and they said, "Hey, come do this character." So he said, "Hell yeah, I'll go." Um, so if like later on, yeah, he says he had reservations about it, but you know, at that time, now you're getting a paycheck, so he's ready to go. And then they 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 sell him on the fact that he rediscovered his roots and he's the leader of a Ugandan tribe because he's gonna feud with Akim, the African Dream. <laughs> Who was the one? Yeah. Was the one man gang? So, and was, yeah, it was white. I was just like, wow. Um, yeah, like you said, it, it was just when you when you sit back, you look at it, and you're like, wow, this 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 whole gimmick was just racist as fuck. Probably one of the worst unpopular gimmicks you could come up with. But you know, like you said, huge props to Tony Atlas for doing it. You know, a former tag team champ with uh, Rocky Johnson, and he deserved better, but. Like he said, a paycheck's a paycheck, and you know whatever you could do to get food on your table, you got to do. But unfortunately, they uh, they went that road with it. But yeah, Saba Simba was on my list. So when you talked about it, I just started laughing because I, I, I was right down the same mind frame as you, Tony. Yeah. How about you, Adam? Anything to add to Saba Simba? It was a good choice. I I, I had forgotten him on my list, but uh, yeah, I, I know Saba Simba came on the scene when I was twelve years old, and I saw it then and went, isn't this a little racist? I thought to myself at the age of 12. <laughs> so <laughs> if, if I could see it at the age of 12, uh, unfortunately I think racism uh, was a huge uh, thing in wrestling at the time. And nobody thought about those things back then. Obviously the, the climate has gotten better, thankfully, but back then um, African-American wrestlers, a lot of them didn't get a fair shake in my opinion. Um, and I think, it didn't last more than a few months. So I think somebody finally got in Vince's ear and said, you're going to get some lawsuits if you don't get this, this gimmick dropped. So, uh, you know, the, and the quote, um, our good friend, Tony Shivani, Akeem versus Tony Atlas would have put asses in the seats. I'm sure. Um, but I mean, I guess props, uh, for finding a feud for everybody, but, <laughs> Yeah, I just, uh, I agree, you know, you got to put food on the table, you know, someone offers you a job, you're, you're down and out, uh, got to do what you got to do, but uh, yeah, Tony Atlas uh, deserved way better, I agree 100% uh, with that, and I'm sure if he had to do it all over again, uh, he wouldn't. Yeah. So there we go. At number 10, a tie between Saba Simba and the Shockmaster each coming in with seven points. All right, let's get to number nine on our list. Number nine on our list also came in with seven points, but it got a tiebreaker because it was on two of our lists as opposed to just one. Uh, This particular pick got the seven points from being number 10 on my personal list. And Bob, you had them at number five on your personal list. We're talking about the Johnsons coming in at number nine Johnson. with seven points. Bob, we'll, we'll have you start. Tell us about the Johnsons. So when I talk about rehashed gimmicks, um, we've talked the past about the Ding Dongs. The Ding Dongs were a uh, Jim Hurd special of a tag team that wrestled in those body morph suits. And they had bells attached to them. So they would ring bells at the ringside and stuff like that and just be obnoxiously annoying. Well, TNA Impact Wrestling decided that uh, they had these two guys that they brought in. 
Um, in the indie circuit, they were known as the, the Shane Twins. So they brought them in in uh, 2002, I believe, and they introduced them as the Johnsons, uh, Dick and Rod Johnson. And they were also wearing body morph suits, um, but they were beige. So they were pretty much the concept of them was to make them look like um, condoms. They were wrestling condoms. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, they were, it, it was just bad. Uh, so they just resembled, you know, giant penises when they were in the ring. Um, sadly, uh, like most of these gimmicks that we're talking about today or ring attires that we're talking, they did not last long. Uh, the Johnsons, I think, only lasted for about a month. Uh, and they went away and luckily never came back ever after. But you could uh, look them up during, um, you know, just Google the Johnsons from TNA Impact Wrestling, and you will see exactly what it is that we're talking about. Two large wrestlers uh, in body morph suits to resemble giant penises. Yeah, it was good times. Yeah, I remember the Johnsons. They they uh, they made the cut here on our uh, worst tag teams of all time list. Mm-hmm. We talked about them then. Um, but yeah, if you go back and look at a picture of these guys, it's... This is why I like wrestling nowadays because a gimmick like the Johnsons wouldn't make it past day one. Mm-hmm. You know, it would get so resoundly just tanked, not just in the not not just over with the not just with the crowd, but on the internet as well. People would just be like, "What the fuck is this shit?" and it would just die an instant death. And that's that didn't exist back when the Johnsons uh, debuted, unfortunately. And like I said, it only lasted a month. But the fact that it actually came out of the writer's room and actually became a reality um, was bad enough. So, yeah, I'm totally I'm totally agreeing with the Johnsons being here uh, in our top 10. Uh, Adam, you have anything to add when it comes to the Johnsons? Was this a Russo thing, bro? I don't know. Was it was it in uh, Russo's uh, Impact era, Bob? No, Do you know that? I don't think he was there at the time. They had um, That's the, amazing. The storyline was that they had a manager called Mortimer Plumtree, who was bullied, um, who was bullied at the time by these two guys, and then you know he uh, he brought them back so that he could embarrass them on live TV. Um, as his tag team, and that's what he was doing to them by bringing them in just like this. So that was the storyline that they had for it. But I don't think Vince Russo was there at that time. Okay. Well, I mean, wow. Um, <laughs> I just Googled the picture, and I'm sorry I did. Um, yeah, I, re- I remember you guys talking about them on the worst tag teams, uh, and rightfully so. They belong on there. Uh, they definitely belong on this list. Uh, uh Wow, just wow. Yeah, but yeah, we'll just leave, we'll, say. Yeah, we'll just leave it at that. Adam. That's 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 a good enough. I don't uh, think I can add too much more. Yeah, that's a good enough reaction. Um, so yeah, there we go. Number nine on our list with seven points. Uh, the Johnsons. All right, let's move to number eight on our list. Number eight on our list comes in with eight points. And he got those eight points from being number three on Bob's list. <laughs> We're talking about Brother Brutai. 
Brutus the Barber Beefcake coming in at number eight on our list. Bob, tell us about Brutus and his attire. I did this on purpose. Um, I, I, I even sent you a smiley face when I attached that one on there. Um, just because Brutus the Barber Beefcake has had so many gimmicks, um, and each one of them was just atrocious, as long as as well as his ring attire, that I had to put him on here. Um, 1984, we got introduced to, to Brutus Beefcake, the male stripper, uh, where he would wear these like outlandish uh, sheer tights uh, with mesh on them and uh, the, the beautiful bow tie and the coat that went with it. Um, you know, and then from that's when he was the male stripper and he would tag team with uh, Greg the Hammer Valentine. Then he went solo in 87 where he became the barber and he would still wear the kind of like the same similar style tights, but now he would wear those forearm sleeves that went from his elbow to his hand. Um, and then he would carry around the shears with them. Um, so he, he was pretty over at that time. Uh, but then that's when he had the, uh, the parasailing accident in 1990, um, where most of his skull got shattered due to the accident. And, um, if you recall, for a very short period of time in 1991, he came back as the mystery man. Um, do you remember? Do you guys yes, recall? Him? Okay, I told, I called him the mask guy, but yeah, totally. The mystery man was a man that would wear this mask, and the mask had like a red, black, white, blue stars all over it. He had this weird contraption that he would wear on his chest that looked like a uh, a gold plated uh, cheese grater. And then he would come into the ring and just random people, um, there was no explanation. You're talking about wonderful storylines that AEW does. He would come into the ring during like a Rick Martel match or an earthquake match. Or, and, and then he would just run up to you and headbutt you and then run away, which is a fantastic thing to do for a guy that just had facial surgery and had his you know skull crushed. Uh, have him headbutt people. And, and, and he did that for about a month and then he went away. So then they bring him back. And that's when he comes back with the Mega Maniacs with, uh, you know, Hulk Hogan and they're feuding with uh, Money, Inc. And uh, he's wearing that red and yellow uh, mask that kind of looked like the Ultimate Warrior paint. Um, so that, that was a lot of fun. Afterwards, he goes away and he goes over to WCW and he comes back as Brother Brudai because, you know, copyright, you can't call him Brutus or Beefcake. But then he turns heel and he becomes the Butcher. And now he's just in solid black tights that and giant letters say the butcher on it. Um, from there, he uh, he gets amnesia and he starts, <laughs> he starts wearing white uh, trunks and just walking around wearing sunglasses because he has no idea where he is. Then luckily, the uh, the Dungeon of Doom finds him and they make him the Zodiac. And if you remember the Zodiac, he had his hair spiked up kind of like alfalfa with that little... Uh, piece of hair that sticks up he had uh white and black like zebra style paintings on his face and that's where his trunks were as well uh when he got tired of being a zodiac he became the booty man where he wore his um brutus beefcake uh, tights again but now he had holes where the ass was because he was infatuated with his his own ass um and then he went away and then he came back as the disciple where he looked like a homeless roadie for hulk hogan um, you know, he had the big leather jacket, the big beard, the long hair, again, the glasses, and um, he was just hanging out with Hogan for a while, and then he was kidnapped by uh, 
this was one of my favorites too, where he's kidnapped by the ultimate warrior and he's made a member of, he's made the second member of the one warrior nation, which when I think about that, the second member of the one warrior nation just kind of like threw me off. <laughs> but, uh, you know, he, uh, the last time we ever saw him on, on wrestling TV was, I, I looked this up. It was November 6th of 1999, which was a fantastic birthday gift for me that we never had to see. Bruce the Barber Beefcake on our television anymore. But um, I, I put him on there just for a reason because all of his gimmicks together, they were just atrocious and what he wore and everything. So uh, I, I had to kind of combine it all in one. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Brutus Beefcake, I, I think you just totally, I mean, just giving us a guided tour of his career and the guided tour. And, and the and the just the the monstrous horrible attire that he had in each of those gimmicks is just oof. You just pick you one did a good job. huh you couldn't just pick one you know it's just like well no that one was bad no this one was worse no that one's similar but now this yeah. is bad. and it's just like no i'm going to put them all together yeah well I, well, I know, Adam, you you had the booty man on your personal list. You didn't have enough points to make our top ten. But, you know, you also had an aspect of uh, Brutus Beefcake on your list. So what do you have to say about him? Yeah, booty man was, I mean, again, uh, Bob gave a great guided tour, as you said, throughout his career. And uh, I, I just wanted to point out that all those gimmicks were atrocious and uh, for those of you who may be new or new school wrestling fans and are asking yourself, well, this guy had so many shitty gimmicks. Uh, why did he get to hang around so long? He's Hulk Hogan's best friend. That's mm -hmm. why. So it's very important to make friends in high places. Uh, so, yeah, uh, most of his gimmicks were atrocious. Um, yeah, but the booty man was basically about a man who was obsessed with his ass. Um, and his finishing move was the high knee. Get it? High knee? <laughs> and uh, poor Kimberly Page uh, was his manager, the booty babe. Um, so um, I guess we all have to start someplace in the wrestling business. Uh, but yeah. Yeah, but that's um, not where he started. <laughs> Well, I'm talking about Kimberly Page. Oh, okay, I'm sorry. You're talking about Kimberly, yeah. Yeah, yeah. To be starting off as the booty babe, um, but uh, yeah, uh, he definitely deserves to be on this list because yeah, um, you know, as you know, as the barber, he was kind of over. I, when I was a kid, I thought it was kind of cool. He get the guy's bad haircuts at the end of the match and all that stuff. But yeah, uh, once once the accident happened, that was unfortunately for him. Um, it was, you know, nothing but garbage after that. But again, uh, hard to feel sorry for you when you're Hulk Hogan's friend and you get chance after chance. I mean, the guy, let's not forget, he main evented Starcade under one of those gimmicks against Hogan. Mm -hmm. I don't remember which one. Was that Zodiac? Oh no, that was before he became the, the Zodiac. That was when he uh, he turned before, the like right around the butcher time. Okay, yeah. So and again, he was in the Dungeon of Doom. So uh, you could, I'm sure, plenty of Dungeon of Doom members or candidates for this list too. Yeah. Well, there we go. The many faces of Brutus Beefcake coming in at number eight with eight points. Wow, that's many faces. Wow. Yeah, many Ironic. faces. 
Yeah. <laughs> That's one of my favorite Heenanisms too, was uh him on Saturday night's main event when uh Sid turned heel on Hogan and he the beefcake stood in front of Hogan and, and Heenan says, Beefcake better watch out, it's gonna be like a hockey game, there'll be a face off. Oh <laughs> damn. I love Bobby Heenan so much. Yeah, we do. We do. But yeah, Brutus Beefcake at number eight with eight points. All right, let's get to number seven. Number seven comes on our list with nine and a half points, and he got those nine and a half points from being an honorable mention on my list. He was number seven on Adam's list, and he was number six on Bob's list. The Portuguese Man of War, Aldo Montoya, coming in with nine and a half points at number seven on our list. Bob, you had him at number six. We'll start with you. What do you have to say about Aldo Montoya? To get this picture. <laughs> wow. So, um, PJ Walker, as he was first known, um, was buddy buddy. Again, it, it pays to see who you know in the wrestling business. He was a part of the click, so he was buddy buddy with Shawn Michaels and and uh, Kevin Nash and Triple H and stuff, and. Uh, they found out that he uh, was a Portuguese heritage. So the WWF at that time wanted to uh, reach out to the South American, um, you know, population, and especially the Brazilians, uh, just because of, you know, that's the language that they speak in Brazil mostly. So they decided to give PJ Walker the gimmick of Aldo Montoya, the soccer star. But the fun part was that Aldo Montoya could not play soccer. He didn't know how to play the sport at all. So... They decided to, um, let's make him just Aldo Montoya, and we'll give him uh, these yellow, red, green tights and, like, this yellow and green vest that he could wear with yellow gloves and, uh, yeah, a yellow mask that looks like a jockstrap uh, right on top of that. And um, you could tell that other other wrestlers at that time enjoyed it because I remember one time Shawn Michaels um, made a comment saying, hey, you know, I, I used to hang something like that in my locker room during high school. Um, <laughs> and then there's even a time when Mr. Perfect says, I bet you that his mask smells like stale testicles. Um, so <laughs> that's how much I really loved <laughs> Aldo Montoya. But um, then they made him Aldo Montoya, the Portuguese man of war, because why not? That's a, uh, a jellyfish. And uh, they just <laughs> to give him that. So what do they do is uh, they put him in a feud with Ted DiBiase because Ted DiBiase wants him in the million dollar corporation because here's this young up and coming star that's going to go places in his life. And uh, DiBiase wants him in the corporation. Well, Aldo being the pure baby face tells him no, but he tells him in Portuguese. So DiBiase can't explain to him, which then is crazy because right afterwards, Aldo Montoya and plain uh, English uh, just tells them, you know, you could take the money that you're offering him and stick it right up your ear, which <laughs> when he says that, it's just like, <laughs> okay. Um, but yeah, well, anytime I think of crazy, horrible ring attire, I think of the beautiful jockstrap that he wore on his head. Um, he, he goes on later on and becomes just incredible in ECW. So later on, he was able to salvage his career, but uh, these were some of the dues he had to pay to, to get down to that road. But, um yeah aldo montoya the portuguese man of war check him out you got to see the lovely uh mask that he wore on his face like you said it looks like a jock strap especially because it was like a bright pungent yellow um 
why they couldn't make a green or red, just like the other colors that were on his trunks. I don't know, but they decided the yellow, so it stood out. And uh, it's always going to stand out as one of those crappy uh, ring attire gimmicks for me. Yeah. How about you, Adam? You had him at number seven on your list. What do you have to say about Aldo Montoya? You know, we did an entire show uh, many, uh, a couple months back uh, regarding luchadors, um, the top luchadors of all times. And we talked about their masks, how important they were, uh, how important it was to the culture, uh, how cool a lot of them were and all that. And Aldo Montoya is just a slap in the face to any wrestler who probably wore a mask and is a hell of a talent. It just, I mean... Aldo Montoya could have wrestled like Ricky Steamboat and it wouldn't have made a damn bit of difference. Um, I mean, there's just no getting past that. Easily the worst mask that anyone's ever had to wear in the history of professional wrestling. Uh, You know, again, he could could, uh, wrestle his heart out and it wouldn't matter. It, it, It just, again, I talk about presentation and, you know, you walk out and how's the crowd gonna react? The minute Aldo Montoya walked out, the into an arena for the first time um it was over and how this got past everybody involved backstage or how anyone thought this would be a great idea i have no earthly clue um if i were from portugal i'd be severely offended myself um i'm offended as a fan it's just so ridiculous looking so unintimidating looking and and uh P.J. Walker deserves all the credit in the world for reinventing himself in ECW and making something of himself because, because I, I mean, uh, you know, <laughs> the drizzling shits, as a lot of people like to say in the wrestling business, uh, basically, it just makes him look un- unintimidating and, and uh, a non-factor. Um, again, I don't know if P.J. Walker, you know, took a leak on McMahon's car when he wasn't looking. I, I, I can't I can't fathom why this gimmick got out the door. Yeah. Not a lot of thought, obviously, was put into the whole uh, Aldo Montoya, the Portuguese man of war character. You know, attire also included, but also, you know, like Bob said, is like, oh, you know, Portuguese, we really want to get into that South American market. Never minding the fact that Portugal is actually in Europe mm-hmm. and not in <laughs> South America. <laughs> yeah, they speak Portuguese in Brazil, of course. But yeah, Portugal is actually a European country. Uh, but, you know, aside from that, you know, just not knowing your geography and also putting, like you guys said, a yellow jock strap on this wrestler that you're supposed to be uh, having as your gateway to the South American community. It's It was just mis, misguided, mis, you know, not thought out half-baked, anything you want to describe it, it just was not good. And if you guys just Google a picture of Aldo Montoya, you'll see exactly what we mean. Oh, yes. Yes. He is at number seven on our list with nine and a half points to Portuguese men of war, Aldo Montoya. All right. Let's get to number six on our list. Number six comes in with ten points, and he got the ten points from being – Number 10 on Bob's list, number eight on Adam's list, and he was number five on my list. <laughs> we are talking about the man behind the, the curtain, Oz, coming in at number six. 
on our list with 10 points. Now, we've talked about Oz on the show before, but if you haven't uh if you haven't a clue of who Oz is, first off, it's one of the earliest, if not the earliest gimmick of one Kevin Nash, um, who was as we voted last week, our most overrated wrestler of all time. Uh, but he came in to WCW under the uh, gimmick of Oz. And Oz came around because at the time, uh, Ted Turner had bought the broadcast rights to the Wizard of Oz to broadcast on TBS, uh, you know, which was his, his station. So in order to get some corporate synergy going, they decided, hey, how about we create a wrestler to get the news going that, you know, Wizard of Oz is going to be on our channel. So to premiere the Oz character, they had, you know, Dorothy, Tin Man, Lion, Scarecrow, all doing this little skit on the rampway coming to the ring. And then Oz makes his appearance. And then Oz... Being Kevin Nash, at first comes down, he's wearing a green wizard's hat, he's got a full long white beard, and uh, you know, like a green cape, he makes his way down to the ring, and then when he's about to wrestle, he takes all that shit off, and he's Kevin Nash with like black eyeliner, and what was it like a green like green dye in his beard i think is that what it had and over you know what was that his beard was silver yeah silver i'm sorry it was silver not green and it was just kevin nash with makeup on and you know he squashes the guy and that's the debut of Oz. And like the Shockmaster, it's one of the biggest wrestle crap moments of all time. And yeah, just the 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 outfit that Oz wore just totally belies the the shittiness of the gimmick itself. It was a very short lived gimmick. Uh, like I said, they only wanted to use it to promote the fact that they were airing the Wizard of Oz on TBS. Um, I love the story of how when they pitched it to Kevin Nash, you know, you're going to be Oz, the great and powerful Oz. And, you know, Kevin Nash rightly points out to them, well, Oz is a place. It's not actually a character in the movie. (laughs) And they're like, shut the fuck up. You're Oz. (laughs) So, yeah, that's how the character was. So, yeah, another half-baked gimmick on this list with the with the attire to match. Um, Adam, you had Oz's number eight on your list. What do you have to say about it? Well, you know, the the, the people who watch The Wizard of Oz obviously are going to watch wrestling, right? Hey, some of them do. Well, my girlfriend some. my girlfriend loves both, but I, I, she, she actually chimed in and said Oz should be on this list too, so there you go. Right, exactly. Um, obviously, yes, but I mean... Uh, I, I don't know. You might want to grow your wrestling audience before you worry about the Wizard of Oz audience. Uh, if you're WCW in 1991 or 92, whenever this horrible-ass gimmick was hatched. Um, I mean, yeah. I mean, I'm I, again, I'm looking at pictures of them. Uh, you know, it looks like uh, Father Time is coming to the ring, you know, to fight somebody. And, you know, uh, I'd be changing the channel if I were watching it at home. 
Uh, and then, yeah, it takes all that stuff off, and it's just the dude. It's just... God, again, if you run the a very company, A very large dude, but still just a yeah. dude. Yeah, I mean, if you have money, it's 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 very nice, I, I guess, to uh, be able to do whatever you want. Um, <laughs> I just... Uh, yeah, again, I, I'm at a loss. You know, anyone wearing... I mean, it's one thing to wear a cape when you're doing a superhero gimmick, like like the Hurricane did, for instance. But to wear like a flowing cape like this, uh, you know, uh, again, you know, dead the minute you walk out. So um, I, yeah. I don't care who's who's under it. I don't care how they work. Um, it's just a, a epic fucking disaster that never should have been should have been thought of. Uh, very rarely this cross promotion. Uh, of opposite uh, elements work in in the pro wrestling world, but yet people never seem to learn that lesson. So, yeah. Well, yeah, Bob, you had it. Uh, you had Oz's number ten on your list. What do you have to add about it? I uh, I went back and watched the Super Brawl debut um, when when Oz was first introduced. You and you have Kevin Sullivan dressed up as the Great Wizard coming out screaming, "Welcome to Oz." Welcome to Haas, and he's got a monkey yeah. on leash. <laughs> he's got a monkey yeah. on leash. And the, monkey, the monkey's humping his leg. Um, nice. And then, uh, and then Dusty Rhodes sees Oz come out because Dusty was on commentary, and Dusty, Dusty's selling it like it was like the second coming of Hulk Hogan. Um, so yeah, it's like they tried, and then like you, you, you hear. The crowd just like not give a shit, and like uh, Kevin Sullivan's yelling like "Welcome to Haas," and you hear someone in the crowd go "Shut the fuck up," <laughs> you know. <laughs> <laughs> it was it, it was pretty good. So, um, yeah, it's it's like you said, it's one of those things where so many of these uh, ring attires and these gimmicks that they come up with, like they just put so much money behind. Um, right. And it's just like, okay, well this doesn't work out. And um, we're just going to shit can the, the, the gimmick just because it's not working. But I mean, I had read um, they just, just for the grand entrance uh, for Oz to come out a uh, hundred thousand dollars, the company spent just so they could get like the, the castle and the smoke machines and the lasers and all that other stuff. And, you know, for, for the- they spend a hundred thousand dollars on that piece of shit. Yeah. So, Oh my God. And it's just like, wow. And and then he comes out and you know, the, the, it's over a month later and she's like, wow. And then you wonder why WCW went down the hole, you know? Yeah. No kidding. You just wonder how it didn't go down the hole sooner. Yeah. Welcome to they spent a hundred thousand they spent a hundred thousand dollars on a cheap looking set that they used for like what ten minutes during Super Bowl. Yeah. Oh, the match was only man. like thirty seconds. It took him yeah onto the ring. Yeah. Just fucking ridiculous. But yeah, that's how Oz earns his number six spot here on our list with ten points. Promotional consideration paid for by the following. All right. Well, we're in the top five now. And at number five, comes in with 12 points. And this pick got the 12 points from being number six on my list and number four on Bob's list. Max Moon (laughs) coming in at number five with 12 points. 
Bob, you had Max Moon at number four, so we'll start with you. Tell us all about him. He's another one, man. Uh, Maximilian Moon, um, 13000 for this costume. And uh, to give you a, a brief, in-detailed version of what happened, um, Conan um, decided to come up with his gimmick after watching a Japanese anime of uh, a... It was kind of like a, what the hell did he call it? It's kind of describe it as like this um, outer space robot. And that was going to be the gimmick where, you know, he would wear this full robot suit to the ring. Uh, he had a laser jet pack. He had uh, cannons on his forearms and stuff. And uh, he pitched the, the idea to uh, good old Vince McMahon who signed Conan at the time and said, okay, let's do it. So Vince uh, pitched out $13,000 to uh, help create this costume. Who do you, do you remember Power Rangers back in the day when they would create the giant um, robot at the end? I think it was called the Megazord. I think that's yeah. what it was. Okay. Mm-hmm. It, it was a small version of that. It was all blue and metallic. Uh, he had the helmet. He had the giant chest piece. He had the arms with the cannons on it that would shoot out confetti. And he had the, you know, the giant uh, leg pieces as well. And he had to carry it around in five different boxes wherever he traveled, um, <laughs> which, which was funny. So then uh, he, he debuts the, uh, the, the costume to Vince and Vince sees him in full gear. And Vince tells him, I want to see you dance in that costume, which Conan's like, what the fuck? You know, like this thing is not... Uh, that light because underneath it Conan was wearing a blue mask and he had these blue tights with pink on it that looked like he had a um the motherboard of the computer on him and all these other gadgets and stuff on his and his actual singlets and tights that he was wearing um but yeah he's like I want to see you dance in it which you know Conan didn't want to do and then he gets in a an argument with Vince and that's it the character is shit can with Conan because Conan leaves. So now Vince owns the gimmick and the, the attire. So the only one that could fit into the attire at that time was Paul diamond, who was from the Orient express. So he now becomes max moon. And, um, I mean, I, I thought the perfect example again of it was, uh, you guys watched the bears game today. You remember like the, they have the Fox, uh, robot that they show. It looked exactly like Max Moon's character. It was just like, holy shit, that's that's the same exact robot. Um, so it, it was just funny to see that on TV today. But yeah, um, $13,000 for a ring attire that the guy only wore once, and then they gave it to somebody else. And then uh, Paul Diamond never actually wanted to wear the ring attire, the, the whole robot costume, because it was too much to lug around. So he just ended up wearing the, like I said, the mask with the... Uh, the, the bodysuit that came along with it. And yeah, it's uh, definitely one to uh, write home about. Yeah. Just the legend of the costume of Max Moon uh, kind of, you know, it, it dwarfs the actual wrestler itself. Mm-hmm. You know, just like you said, just how, how expensive it was. I love how, how some wrestlers complain 
about have you know if they win a belt they have to carry the belt around with them at all times fucking max moon had to carry five boxes around with him at all times just for his costume like that's that's fucked up and yeah and just you know the confetti cannons and and all this other shit i get what they were trying to do and this is of course right in the middle of you know the uh the gimmick era and you know everything is very cartoony everything is very over the top and max moon plays right into all that it's just it was an idea that just it was implausible. There was no way that they were going to get this idea off the ground. They tried, mm-hmm. you know, you got to give them some, some respect for even fucking trying this thing. Yeah. yeah it, 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 <laughs> I'm, well, I mean, to have like the whole spaceman thing and, you know, the confetti cannons and all this other shit, you know, to actually, you know, instead of just like scrapping and being like, ah, we can't do this. Plus $13,000 is just way too much for one fucking costume. They actually made it happen a little, and begrudgingly, I give them a little bit of respect for that. It was god-awful, but at least they tried. So, yeah, but that still doesn't make it any better, and that's why I had it at six, and Bob, you had it at four. Um, Adam, it wasn't on your list, but what do you have to say about Max Moon? I'm sorry, it's persistent. Yeah, I'll give you that. It was persistent, but it's just... The great Pantera said, can't you see I'm easily bothered by persistence? <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, he just missed the cut on my list. Uh, the last two we discussed, Oz and Max Moon, again, we're talking almost 115 grand to spend on mid-card wrestlers. Uh, that, that, that just speaks for itself. I, I mean, you're not... You know, I understand, Put you know, again, it didn't work, but, but putting Lex Luger on a bus and having him tour America at least made sense to to try to get people behind the character leading up to a championship match. That I can forgive, but again, it's throwing out amounts of money on mid-carters, uh, you know, and to not do anything with it because it was a bad idea to begin with. It just... The mid-90s and late-90s, I'm so glad they came along for professional wrestling because it, it, it purged a lot of this garbage out. I, I, I do have a, while you guys are talking and giving the background, I do have this image of Paul Diamond uh, in the airport with his fellow WWE superstars. And, you know, they're going through the terminal, going to the airplane. Guys, wait up. God, you know, he's got a stack full of boxes in his arm. Guys, wait yeah. up. Wait up. You know, that's... Wow, uh, so, uh, yeah, again, it's, it's you know, we talk about, again, uh, how WCW stayed afloat at that time with Oz. Uh, sometimes I question how WWF stayed afloat at that time, too, because there's some god-awful shit walking around. And, again, um, I don't think Max Moon sold many tickets, uh, but certainly a lot of effort went into it. Yeah. And he's at number five on our list with 12 points for the worst ring attire of all time, Max Moon. All right, let's move to number four on our list. Number four comes in with 14 points and got the 14 points from being number nine on my list, number seven on Bob's list, and number three on Adam's list, the legendary 
Mantar comes in at number four with 14 points. Adam, we'll start with you. He was in your top three. What do you have to say about Mantar? A horse is a horse, of course, of course. Uh, <laughs> well, he was more of a buffalo, right? Yeah, it was supposed to be like, yeah, like a half man, half bull, whatever the fuck. I don't know what that uh-huh, Whatever the fuck. That's that just about uh, that just about sums it up perfectly. Um, I mean, what can you say about this guy? He, he, he came to the ring with the big buffalo mask on, which he apparently couldn't even see out of. I think they wanted him to wrestle with it on um and, it, and that didn't work um his character is as tony said was half man half buffalo or whatever who charged trampled and mood at his opponents uh yeah, sounds about right mm-hmm. uh yeah uh he actually had an icy title match against razor ramon uh <laughs> Somehow, um, <laughs> was it a, was it a was it a house show or? <laughs> I, I, um, according to this, I think it was on Superstars. Oh well, that makes more sense. But uh, yeah, the, the house show of TV shows, Superstars. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Uh, again, um, yeah, do a Google on it. Like like with uh, Eldo Montoya, and you can I I can't do it justice by by describing it. Um, the guy is half man, half animal, and yeah, he yeah he looks like a cow here. I'm looking at it now. He's he's got this massive upper half. That's how he came to the ring with the, you know it, you know when you go to a steakhouse sometimes and and they have like a cow head. You know, in the yeah. logo or whatever, that's what it looks like. Basically, that a steakhouse closed down, and they took the, the 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 cow head and said, "Here, put this on." And then when the guy took uh, took the, the the mask off, uh, you know, he he just he had this odd face paint on, and again, he mooed and and charged at his opponents. Um, I mean, if if you like animals, maybe you'd be into this guy. Uh, I don't know. But uh, again, we're talking again the gimmick era, you know, from the early to mid '90s. Uh, I I prefer to refer to it as the let's throw a bunch of shit at the wall and see what sticks. Uh, none of it stuck, unless your name was Bret Hart or mm-hmm. Shawn Michaels or people with normal names. Uh, so uh, Mantar also, uh, I guess, was in the '95 King of the Ring tournament and was pinned by Bob Sparkplug Holly. So that goes to show just how important he was to the company because Bob Holly jobbed everybody at that time. So, um, again, I, I'd love to know uh, who thought this one up and, and how it was pitched and how it was agreed upon that, that fans would be into a guy acting like a bull or a cow or whatever he was supposed to be. Um, again, you know, hindsight, over 25 years later since, since his character made its debut and, you know, uh, it certainly wouldn't be over now. I don't know how it would have been over at any point in time. I mean, <laughs> where's the appeal for you as a fan? So that's why it was so high on my list. Yeah. Yeah, you say you don't know what he was supposed to be. I, I think the guy who actually played Mantar didn't know what the fuck he was supposed to be. But, yeah, uh, Bob, you had Mantar at number seven on your list. What do you have to add? Yeah, like you said, I mean the the helmet that he would wear, like the uh, 
the big bull head was like when he would take it off it, it was it wasn't just like uh like vader's helmet where it was just up to his shoulders like this thing went all the way down to like above his belly button you know it was large and, and like <laughs> they wanted him to wrestle at it and like adam said he, he couldn't see in it so he would take it off and then adam forgot to mention that afterwards to make him look more like a minotaur he started painting the black lines above his eyes and making it go back to his head to make it look like a ram um which which got him over even more um he had the uh the fur fur on his boots and the fur on his tights just to make him look like a ram as well and uh it was just eventually he he went over to uh, ecw and ecw you know uh, treated him lovely over there because they would jeer Mantar whenever he was in the ring. And at one point, he was actually a member of uh, the Truth Commission when they came over to the WWF, if you remember that. That's that's right. Yeah. He, was, he was under a mask. But uh, a little wrestling trivia for you for you guys. Um, in real life, the guy's name is uh, Mike Halleck. Uh, who was his, uh, his cousin, who was also a member of WCW and should have been on this list of uh, WrestleCrap ring attire. Hmm. Hmm. Big Josh? No, not Big Josh. <laughs> it's a good one though. Uh I I'm drawing a blank. It's uh wrestling's first rapper. PN News. PN News is his real life cousin. Oh nice. I knew you, you, we talked about this yesterday, Bob, when you called, you were going to work PN News into this show, <laughs> no matter what. <laughs> we need some yep. love in this, on this show, so PN News is his cousin in real life. Nice. Well, both of those are <laughs> shitty gimmicks, <laughs> but man, Mantar... <laughs> Mantar edges edges this one out as far as his ring attire is concerned. Yeah, Mantar, you guys said it perfectly. Guy came in with a fucking freshly taxidermied bull on his fucking head. It's that's not the way to present yourself to an audience and get over. Um, yeah, this was just a really dark period in wrestling history, and this just goes to show it really does. So <clears throat> I've got nothing more to add to Mantar than you guys already said. I think the less said about him, the better. So well, his, his, there you go. his ring music had like the, the cow and the bull grazing noises. And you would hear like the buffalo herd trampling and, and like the, the cow chewing. That was his ring music too. Yeah, it, it sounds, was. Yeah, it sounds like a toy my, you know, my kids had when they were two. Yeah, it's a speaking spell. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But yeah, there we go. Mantar coming in with 14 points, number four on our list. All right, we're in the top three now at number three, coming in with 14 and a half points just above Mantar. Uh, They got the 14 and a half points by being an honorable mention on Bob's list. There's number five on Adam's list. And number three on my list, uh, we're talking about not just Farouk, no. but when he first came into the WWF, he was known as Farouk Assad, and his his uh, his his uh, ring attire comes in at number three on our list with fourteen and a half points. Now everybody knows Farouk, Ron Simmons, 
WWE Hall of Famer, you know, best known as being part of the APA with John Bradshaw Layfield. Um, you know, just a badass guy. A lot of people also remember his WCW career where he famously was world champion there, um, beating um, <clears throat> beating uh, Vader and becoming world champion in a really good match and becoming one of, well, he was the first black uh, heavyweight champion yep. that, that they had. Um, but not too long after that, he ends up losing the belt back and just kind of languishes in WCW's mid card ends up leaving WCW comes to WWF and they're like, Hey, we got the perfect gimmick for you. You're going to be Farouk Assad. You're going to be this gladiator. We're going to dress you up in all this gladiator gear. And, and, you know, if you hear Ron Simmons tell it just the way they sold it to him, it's like, Oh, you know, that sounds pretty cool. All this gladiator gear. It's going to be, it's going to be awesome. And then they showed him, you know, the actual, costume that they had for him and you, if you go back and look at pictures of Farouk Assad wearing this shit he looks like he looks like a dollar store masters of the universe character you know he you know he's supposed to look like this gladiator but he he's got these like i guess a gladiator's out, outfit but he's um it's all teal you know the just the the color scheme is just really off, does not do any favors for him. And the worst of all is the helmet that they give him. It's this, you know, this blue gladiator's helmet that is made not of metal. It's it's very, very, you know, obviously made of like Nerf material. It's like they, it's like they cut a Nerf football into the shape of a helmet and just gave it to him. Now that takes talent. Yes, it does. That WWF's uh, wardrobe department department deserves some props there. Exactly, exactly. But yeah, that's that's the um, that's Farouk Assad for you. This badass gladiator with a teal a teal costume and a Nerf football for a helmet. Yeah, that that that's that got over. Um, Adam, you had Farouk Assad as. At number five on your list, what do you have to say about him? When I sent you the list, um, I had forgotten the Assad uh, being assigned uh, when he first came. So I had him as Farouk Nerf Gladiator, so you would know that I meant yeah, that yeah. version and not um, not the Nation of Domination Farouk. Um, I, I, I can remember clear as day when, uh, when he debuted, or at least the first time I saw him. Maybe it wasn't his debut, but... Um, Ahmed Johnson was wrestling and, and he attacked him out of nowhere. Um, and the first two thoughts that ran through my mind were, holy shit, isn't that Ron Simmons? Was thought number one. That's cool. He's in the WWF. And then thought number two, what the fuck is he wearing? Uh, <laughs> two things that went through my mind. Uh, as, as Tony mentioned, uh, he was the first uh, African-American heavyweight champion in WCW. Uh, we've talked about Doom before. He was a member of Doom prior to that. So, um, you know, he had, he had staked his reputation. He was a big, powerful guy, former football player, had a good look to him. Uh, was a powerful guy in the ring, worked, worked pretty well, was in good shape. Um, and so it's like you, you hear, you, you know the pedigree, you know the history. 
Uh, WWF, as we mentioned all through the show, is languishing at this time. It's like that's a perfect guy to bring in to try to get some to get some going, get some excitement in the building. Um, start a feud with Ahmed Johnson, who was pretty over at the time. Um, and it's like, and then all of a sudden they put him in this, in this outfit and you're like, what the hell and why? Uh, it just, you know, uh, again, this is what I talked about the beginning of the show. Let's take someone who established himself in another federation and just shit all over him and embarrass him because he wasn't our creation. Um, it it really doesn't matter what he was in there to, you know, make Ahmed Johnson get over, and that was his job, but, you know, he didn't have to look like a putz doing it, you know, through no fault of his own, because he is a WWE Hall of Famer, well-deserved, but, I mean, that's just, Vince has this history of taking guys who who got over somewhere else and just brought, bring them over and just flat-out embarrass them, and for, for no other reason than they're not a homegrown talent. Uh, so, thankfully, much to his credit, uh, Farouk uh, eventually got over leading the nation of domination and he was in the APA as Tony mentioned uh, so he had a nice career run uh, but it was a really rough start um, and it really didn't need to be because you know who cares if it's a fucking gladiator especially one with the Nerf helmet you know I just when I saw that I just had this image of a commercial Nerf gladiator you know it's just awful yeah. it just Ron Simmons did not deserve that treatment. It goes back to the Saba Simba thing. Yeah. Yeah, it does. Uh, Bob, you had Farouk Assad in your honorable mentions. What do you have to say? He was a futuristic gladiator. You guys got to get it right. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sorry. Forgot about the whole futuristic angle. And you forgot because they thought that Ron Simmons could not talk at that time because he was from the future that they gave him Sonny as a mouthpiece. That was his manager. Mm. Um, you know, and that got him over really well as well because he was feuding with, like you said, Ahmed Johnson. Um, but <laughs> I read an interview with Ron Simmons where they they pitched him. Uh, Vince pitches him. He's like, "You're gonna be Farouk Assad," and he says, "What, what the fuck is a Farouk Assad?" <laughs> and then he pitches him the idea, and like you said, uh, I'll always remember the the beautiful helmet, and like you said, the uh, the vest he would wear with it, and even. Uh, he had like this weird, like Sparta, like a loincloth that went around with it with blue tassels that would hang down too over his black trunks. And, um, yeah, it was just, it was just bad. It went from being a blue helmet to like a metallic helmet after a while too. And then from there he ended up going to do, like you said, the, the nation of domination stuff. But, um, Vince has his eye on the future, you know, so good for him. Yeah. Yeah, good for him, but bad for Ron Simmons in this period of his career. <laughs> Number three on our list, Farouk Assad coming in with 14 and a half points. All right, let's get to our number two pick, gentlemen. Our penultimate pick coming in at number two with 27 points. And he got the 27 points for being a unanimous number two pick between all three of us. All three of us had this guy as number two on our list. Of course, we're talking about the one, the only, Bastion Booger, coming in at number two on our list with 27 points. 
Uh, let's see. Bob, let's start with you. <laughs> what do you have to say about Bastion Booger? Um, I was surprised when I saw the high jump from 14 and a half to 27. So that's pretty funny. Great mind stinker. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So Mike Shaw um, was, you know, he got himself over in WCW as Norman the Lunatic. He had a cool gimmick there. WWF brings him over. They made him Friar Ferguson, the evil monk. And, uh, you know, the Catholic Church intervenes in there saying that they weren't too happy with that. So Vince, again, being this creative genius that Vince does is I'm going to make you a sewer creature. And (laughs) nothing nothing speaks sewer creature like uh, Bastion Booger and this silver grayish uh, trunks with. Uh, these straps that wrap around his body. Um, Mike Shaw was 400 pounds, and he had just like a large hump on the upper part of his back. Um, he had hair where he should have been bald, and he, he was bald where he should have been had hair, and he just did not look good at all. Um, you want to talk about horrible entrance music, too. You have someone just scream out, I'm the booger man. And he, you hear snot noises and belching noises and <laughs> noises all throughout the throughout his music entrance. Um, and, and we've talked about his finisher before, or the trip to the Batcave, where he's just this large man that I just talked about. And he's wearing this awful gear. And he would squat down and just pop plop down on your face with his crotch that was his finishing move um you you mentioned bobby heenan earlier uh i remember bobby heenan when they talked about bastion booger being involved in the royal rumble and and bobby heenan quickly saying that's that's my pick bastion booger's my pick and you know you quickly got the uh, connotation of him saying booger picked and it was just kind of funny at that time when i'm 10 years old but um yeah, this is that. That's it's funny. Forty three too. <laughs> yeah, look look up Google the picture of Bastion Booger, and you'll know exactly why he was in the unanimous number two on our list. Yeah, how about you, Adam? What do you have to say about Bastion Booger? The less said, the better. Um, you know, rip Mike, rest in peace, Mike Shaw. He's no longer with us, but um, unbelievable. I mean. Uh, uh, I believe I read somewhere, or maybe when we discussed them on another show, um, I I would I, I had heard somewhere that Vince was not happy with the kind of shape that Shaw was in, mm-hmm. so to embarrass him, he put him in this outfit that Bob described, and uh, you, you know the guy I'm looking at it, he's got man boobs and and uh, you know uh, the straps. I, I don't get it, you know just put the trunks on them and, and, and just leave it at that. Uh, Bob mentioned the hump. I think they wanted to accentuate that because the whole gimmick was this man is disgusting and gross. Um, you know, so that will strike fear in the hearts of Bret Hart and, and uh, the undertaker and, and, and diesel and some of the biggest names uh, in the company at that time are worried about the grossness factor uh, when defending their titles. Um, Shaw was a straight up brawler. Couldn't, really wrestle very well um obviously didn't uh had the body for it so the reason they brought him in and wasted money the and uh recorded people farting and, and belching on tape uh for him to come out to 
Um, not sure. I'm not sure what their long range plan was for Bastion Booger. So, um, but I do know that, uh, it, and the trip to the bad cave, of course, uh, you know, uh, they certainly were effective making him gross and disgusting, but, uh, you know, again, I don't see how that translates in the pay-per-view buys and, and selling tickets to house shows and merchandise. Yeah, it was, it was a throwaway character and yeah, they didn't put a lot of thought to his costume either. As you guys, as you guys described, you, you know, Bastion Booger, he's one of those, he's one of those characters just that's just going to live in him for me. And with good, with good cause, you know, it's the guy, it, like Adam said, he was just, it was just punishment for the guy being so out of shape. And it was, you know, it just didn't register. It didn't make any sense. And it was just the least said or known about it, the better, you know, Bastion Booger, you know, like you said, Mike Shaw's not here anymore. You know, RIP to him. He was, you know, a wrestler. That's all I can really say about him. But, um, you know, just this character just did not do anybody any favors, especially him. And the attire, like you said, just Google a picture of it. It's goddamn. It, you know, I, I would hate to be a wrestler and just be like, hey, you got to come out to the ring wearing this shit and you know or you know you don't have a job basically so yeah it's just not a good position to be in i feel bad for mike shaw here's here's the line in retrospect here's the line of thinking i'd rather shit on you than make money with you yeah that's good business right oh yeah oh yeah (laughs) it's fucking ridiculous but yeah we all thought so highly of Bastion Booger that each of us had him at number two on our worst attire list. Coming in with 27 points, Bastion Booger. All right, well, that brings us to our top pick. But before we get to our top pick, like we do every week, let's go to our honorable mentions here. Our honorable mentions are picks that didn't have enough points to make our top 10, but did get enough points to at least garner a mention here. Let's start with our number 11 pick, our first honorable mention. Comes in with five points, and he got the five points from being number six on Adam's list. We're talking about the infamous yellow polka dots of the American dream, Dusty Rhodes, coming in at number 11 with five points. Adam, what do you have to say about Dusty's polka dots? This, uh, they're, as we've described, uh, there were worse uh, ring of tires in terms of presentation, getting guys over, uh, you know, not getting them over, I should say, right when they walk out. Um, but the reason this got so high on my list, you know, we all love Dusty Rhodes. He's a legend. Um, he's a true legend. Uh, you know, we've talked about him many times on many episodes. Uh, just super over in the NWA territory. Um, you know, feuding with Ric Flair and guys like that, uh, cutting great promos, you know, the working man and hard times, all those great promos. <clears throat> so WWE built off that a little bit because they're calling him the common man. Um, but he comes over and they put him 
in uh, unflattering tank top with a uh, black tank top with yellow polka dots. Some sometimes he'd it'd be switched up. It'd be it'd be red polka dots over black or black polka dots over yellow. Um, he'd wear a, a matching headband. Um, and again, this is this is an established legend. Somebody who you know draws fans. People care about. Uh, but because he worked for the competition for many years, uh, often in a backstage role, uh, it's much more important to shit on the guy and embarrass him uh, in your company than to uh, than to make money off of him, enter him into meaningful feuds. Uh, I mean, he did wrestle some top talent. He wrestled Randy Savage. He wrestled Ted DiBiase, to name a couple. But uh, obviously, again, uh, it was much more important to embarrass him. I mean, when, when, when you're, when you come down the ring again, I don't care who you are. Uh, you could be Taz ECW era Taz or, or someone like that. If you're wearing polka dots, there's no way you can make polka dots look intimidating. So, uh, again, uh, I, it just infuriates me that Vince, uh, felt it was much more important to make dusty roads look ridiculous than to actually use his talents uh and uh get him over more than i mean he could have been more over than he was if if uh his ego didn't get in the way so uh that's why that ranks so high it just really irks me when vince shits on people like that for no good reason yeah well there you go at number 11 our first honorable mention dusty Rhodes with five points all right let's get to our Second honorable mention, number 12 on our list, comes in with four and a half points. And he got the four and a half points from being an honorable mention on Adam's list. And I had them at number seven on my list. We're talking about the legendary tag team of Owen Hart and Coco (laughs) Beware. Yes. I was hoping someone else would pick them too. (laughs) High energy. Coming in at number 12, our second honorable mention here. Uh, High energy, you know, for a tag team that uh, has the caliber of Coco Beware and, you know, uh, Owen Hart, you would think that they would come with a better look than what they were given. But again, I shouldn't really expect that because of the era that high energy was wrestling in, you know, much like Farouk Assad, uh, this was the, you know, the over the top comic book, you know, very, very much aimed towards the kids era of WWF. And accordingly high energy was giving costumes that, uh, just look for fucking repulsive, man. It was like neon colors with checkerboard print uh, you know, they had suspenders. Uh, did, did they, yeah, they had suspenders. Didn't oh, they? Yeah, they did. Damn straight, yeah. they had suspenders. If, if, if I remember correctly, yeah. They, the suspenders they just, got them on my list. Yeah, these baggy-ass pants with suspenders on them. It, they, they looked like, you know, they looked like the opening act for MC Hammer and Vanilla Ice. Mm-hmm. You know, it was just, just horrible. Just fucking horrible and like i said it was the it was the fashion i guess at the time you know like i said it was early 90s 
you know, they were not the only wrestlers to be wearing gaudy ass outfits like this, but it just, God, these particular outfits were just fucking horrible. And yeah, that's why I had them so high on my list. Adam, like I said, you had them as an honorable mention. What do you have to say about high energies outfits? You summed it up pretty good. Um, Again, you got a WWE hall of famer and Coco beware, uh, Owen Hart, of course, would be a Hall of Famer um, had not uh, how things not gone down the way they did uh, as far as his death and and such. But two great competitors um, and they're borrowing MC Hammer's pants and Robin Williams suspenders and uh, have to work and work like that. You know, you just can't, you know, wrestle individually and. <laughs> put on good matches, which they were obviously capable of, uh, you know, again, it's just being out of touch with the times. Uh, and, uh, I, I, like you said, just, um, it's hard to take a team seriously when they looked that ridiculous, again, as talented as they both were. Um, it just, it, it was, it was kind of a joke to me. Cause again, you, you couldn't get past it. You really couldn't. It was, you know, uh, suspenders were not a cool thing in, in 1992 when they were a tag team. So, uh, again, uh, I don't know what's behind that, but, uh, I'm sure they don't work for WWE anymore. Yeah. Well, there you go. At number 12, our second honorable mention, the tag team of Owen Hart and Coco Beware, high energy coming in with four and a half points. Real quick. All right. They, uh, yeah, go ahead. They- they they actually that that tag team was the the gear was rehashed because if you remember before Coco was there it was before it was high energy it was it was the new foundation and it was right. uh, it was Jim the Anvil Nightheart he had the orange uh, colored uh, outfit the orange sherbet colored outfit then Owen or then uh, oh. Nightheart left and they replaced it with uh, Coco and Coco had the uh, the pink colored outfit. <laughs> Yeah, well, for, you know, for Nightheart's sake, you know, nobody really remembers the new foundation. They just remember high energy, I think, most of all. But, yeah, that, the the fucking, that, those outfits were horrible, and they <laughs> deserve their place on this list. Number 12 on our list with four and a half points. All right, let's get to number 13 on our list, our third honorable mention. Hey, Bob, guess what? High, high energy, and the new foundation yeah. all over again. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> we do have a tie, though. Yes, each one coming in with three points. Uh, we'll start with the first one coming in with three points, and they got the three points from being number eight on Bob's list. Oh, it's nice. the gobbledygooker <laughs> coming in at yeah, number thirteen. Was... Our tie for our third honorable mention, Bob. Tell us about the gobbledygooker. This is actually a shout out to one of my patients, uh, Eduardo. Uh, he actually told me the other day when he came in that um, he listens to our podcast while he waits for Jim Cornette's podcast to come out. So I was like, wow, that's awesome. Thank you very much for that. So huge shout out. And then he asked me, he asked me what our topic was for this week. So I told him what the topic was. And he said his first guess was the gobbledygooker. So for him, I put him on the list. Um, the Survivor Series gobbledygooker, they were teasing this giant egg out of nowhere, um, and it was going to hatch, uh, at Survivor Series. So, um, 
everyone was waiting to see what it was and out comes this giant turkey from this egg at the survivor series the same survivor series that the undertaker debuted at um this giant turkey comes out looks like a giant um sesame street muppet uh played by hector guerrero and um turkey head and all blue head feathers and everything full full costume um he's dancing in the ring with uh mean gene okerlund um vince <laughs> vince brought him in as a mascot so kids kid uh you know be excited about a giant dancing wrestling turkey um like you mentioned before with some of the wrestlers the problem was he could not see with the mascot uh this giant turkey mass that he was wrestling with he couldn't see so he's running out to the ring he's tripping on the ropes while he's trying to get through he tried to do a um a flip into the ropes and he trips on the top rope just because he couldn't see it and couldn't clear it. Cause, uh, um, the lights were so bright. So, uh, when Hector Guerrero gets back to the, to the backstage, uh, Vince was pissed just because of the, what had happened in the ring. And, uh, gorilla monsoon pulls him to the side and says, you couldn't see, could you? And he says, Nope. And he says, all right. And the next thing you know, the character is completely done. And, and gone. And again, I mean, all the time and effort they put into the storyline of this giant egg coming out. And here's the gobbledygooker. So I had to put him on the list just because of the horrible concept that he was a dancing turkey. Yeah. Well, gobbledygooker, like we said, is tied with three points with this other pick. And this other pick coming in because they got to be number eight on my list. We're talking about the team of the Dynamic Dudes coming in at number 13, tied with the Gobbledygooker. Um, I put the Dynamic Dudes on there because, you know, A, kind of like high energy, just their outfits coming into the ring, very typical of that era, just like these neon colors that were just god-awful, eyesore, you know, outfits. Um, but mostly it's the accessories that that put them on this list, namely the, the skateboards that they come out with. Neither one of them knew how to fucking use a skateboard, yet they come out running to the ring carrying these skateboards and also the Frisbees that they would throw into the crowd as well. Um, yeah, there's just something really corny about the overall um you know, look of the dynamic dudes. I realized they were trying to be white meat baby faces, um, you know, and I, it comes with the territory. But, yeah, just the look of the dynamic dudes I thought was fucking god awful. And, you know, I'm sure Shane Douglas agrees with me. So, yeah. <laughs> so there we go. That's why I had the dynamic dudes at number eight on my list. And they are tied with the gobbledygooker at Number 13 on our list, our third honorable mention, each coming in with three points. All right, let's move to our fourth honorable mention. Our fourth honorable mention comes in with two and a half points, and they got the two and a half points from being on Adam's honorable mentions, and they came in at number nine on Bob's list. We're talking about Battle Cat coming in at number 14 with two and a half points. Bob, let's start with you. Tell us about the attire of Battle Cat. Um, so again, Battle Cat was this um, guy who wrestled in a orange and purple singlet. 
uh, with a giant paw print on his ass. Um, and a mask that was that of a cat uh, with these bright purple ears. And um, what I what I loved about him was he would run out to the ring wearing this orange cape. But the funny thing about the cape is it had nothing to tie it together in the front, nor did it have like a clip to hold it together. So when he ran to the ring wearing his cape, he had to hold it with his hands um just to hold it together and then when he'd get in the ring he would start dancing um because that's what battle cats do and uh then he would do like pawing feline motions at his opponents at the camera um and and then again what i loved about battle cat was uh his finisher was the victory roll which he called the cat's cradle um very 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 uh impressive and smart ingenious with that but uh yeah look up the battle cat um it's fun just to see him uh poor brady boone friend of the show um yeah (laughs) battle cat had to make the list yeah adam you had battle cat as an honorable mention want to add anything to it it's a damn cat rustling um (laughs) It, it, it's most uh, bare bones. I love cats, but I don't want to see one in a wrestling ring. Uh, yeah, the gimmick did not last very long, as I recall. Um, and uh, I do remember him having a match with the Barbarian on, uh, I think it was primetime wrestling. And the Barbarian squashed the shit out of him pretty good. And uh, I, I remember at the very end, uh, I think I don't remember who was calling the match, but I do remember Ward Alfred Hayes on color going, well, it looks to me like Battle Cats has lost every one of his nine lives. And then he did a fruit, uh, fruit stripe gum plug. Um, as, I, as he did. Yes. As he did better than anyone on earth. Um, I, I, I'm looking at pictures of him too. Uh, Bob described them very well. Apparently there was an action figure of mm-hmm. him where you could have Battle Cat do the cat's cradle. But, but I wonder if he was even an active competitor by the time that, that figure hit the shelves at Toys R Us. So, um, a re- again, wrestling animals, not a good idea, as talked about earlier with Mantar. Yeah. Well, there we go. At number 14, our fourth honorable mention with two and a half points, Battle Cat. All right, let's get to our last honorable mention. Number 15 on our list comes in with two points. And he got the two points from being on both my honorable mentions list and Bob's honorable mentions list. And he's number 10 on Adam's list. We're talking about <laughs> Naked Midian coming in at number 15, our last honorable mention here. Adam. You had Naked Midian at number 10, so start us off. What do you have to say about him? Uh, Dennis Knight, I believe, was uh, was uh, Naked Midian's real name. Um, the poor man, I, I, you know, I'm not going to hate on him too much because he suffered enough. Um, he was uh, he started out as uh, Tex Slazinger in WCW. Uh, he was an ornery Texas outlaw. Uh, moved on to the WWE, where be- where he became a hog farmer. Then he was Jeff Jarrett's bodyguard in Southern Justice. Then he was in the Ministry of Darkness as their lackey. Um, and 
uh, if that wasn't bad enough, then he decided uh, a third, whoever, I don't think he decided. I think the people in charge decided, well, let's just keep embarrassing this guy. He keeps coming back for more. He's like a punching bag. So uh, he would just basically run around arenas wearing only his fanny pack. Yes, a fanny pack in the year 2000, a pair of boots and a thong. Um, again, can you, can you imagine, uh, anybody coming up to their parents and going, can you take me to a WWE raw so I can watch naked Midian wrestle? Uh, I don't think the conversation took place in any household in this fair country or any of the other great countries around the world. Um, I don't know what Dennis Knight did to people, but they just constantly gave him horrific gimmicks. And again, he just kept coming back for more. Um, I don't want to see anyone uh, wearing a fanny pack. I don't care who it is in a wrestling match. Uh, that's all I have to say about him. Nice. Yeah. How about you, Bob? You had him in your honorable mentions list. Uh, how, what do you have to say about Naked Midian? Yeah, that was uh, that was fun. Like you said, uh, it was Rikishi before Rikishi, <laughs> where <Yeah>. this guy <laughs> would run out. And uh, like you said, he would run out with his fanny pack and his thong, and uh, he was a wrestling streaker. He would run out during people's matches and just streak during the matches for no problem. And for some reason, they decided, let's give him a European Championship belt match uh, against William Regal, which he ended up losing it. And that was uh, at Armageddon, which was a a pay-per-view at that time. So um, (laughs) it was just, wow. Uh, there's not much more to say about Naked Midian. Just like I said, for some reason, they thought it'd be a great idea to have a streaker, and they decided to praise him for it by giving him a title match on a on a big pay-per-view. Yeah. Yeah, Dennis Knight, I'm sure he's a nice guy, but he's one of the last dudes you ever want to see naked. <laughs> and, um, yeah, just totally played into that gimmick. You guys pretty much said all there is to say about Naked Midian. So we'll just leave it at that. Our last honorable mention with two points, Naked Midian. All right. Well, that brings us to our number one pick. And with our number one pick, we haven't had one of these in a while. Nice. A unanimous number one pick coming in with 30 points. And that unanimous number one pick is Giant Gonzalez, <laughs> our number one pick for the worst ring attire of all time and with good fucking cause. Uh, Bob, let's start with you. What oh. do you have to say about Giant Gonzalez? Uh, the good old Giant. Um, We got to see him as... El Gigante in 1991 in WCW, and then in 93, the WWF gets their hands on him. And uh, I, th- I believe it was the Royal Rumble where he made his debut, correct? Yes. Yeah, Possibly. I think, yeah. Okay, yeah. So here comes the seven foot seven man, 461 pound, out to the ring with Harvey Whippleman following him to interfere with The Undertaker. He got this huge feud with The Undertaker. Um, the thing with Giant Gonzalez is his ring attire was that of, again, um, this suit that had airbrushed muscles all over it. So um, he looked chiseled, according to the uh, airbrushing that they did on him. 
Um, but he had large patches of fur everywhere else, um, on his chest, on his tights, on the side of his legs where you really shouldn't even have hair in certain parts, uh, on his arms, on his wrists. Um, and, and it's, they never explained what he was or what his gimmick was or anything about him. Um, it's just, he's a giant. And he was completely atrocious in the ring. Undertaker said that he took, you know, years of his career away from him. Mm. Um, but the guy could not talk to save his life. Um, after the Undertaker was done with him, he ended up getting uh, what was supposed to be his next feud was supposed to be with Adam Bomb. And that would have been, you know, WrestleMania material right there. But unfortunately, it never materialized. Um, you know, he's another one. Unfortunately, he passed away due to heart issues. But, um, yeah, uh, I, I think of horrible wrestling attire and Giant Gonzalez easily pops into my head. Like I said, just uh, the airbrushed body, uh, like, suit that he was wearing. And, I mean, if you even look at it, the, his uh, his boots were airbrushed. Um, you know, he had uh, fur on his boots, too. Uh, <laughs> it was just bad. Very, very, very bad. Yeah, I don't know what they were trying to get at. It was, like some kind of like Sasquatch character. I don't, you know, if they were doing like a whole Bigfoot thing, I don't know, but it's just, yeah, you have giant Gonzalez, like you said, Eligante in uh, WCW, just a massive guy, you know, seven foot seven, uh, was a basketball player, barely mobile. You know, you can't really expect a guy his size to be fucking Jushin Liger in the ring, but he's he could barely move. You know, and that goes that was put totally on display in his matches with the company. They're just infamous for how horrible they are. But, yeah, just the thought put into that ring attire. I remember the first time I saw it and I was a little kid. I'm like, what the fuck? What is that? It's like, is what's he supposed to be? You know, it's like I, I, I of course, I was like, OK, I, I, I recognize him. That's Aligante from WCW, but why does he look like an airbrushed Bigfoot? That just makes no fucking sense. And it still doesn't make any sense. All these years later, it's like, why the hell did they do that? You know, it had nothing to do with the character. They could have just simply been like, hey, this guy's just a massive dude. Kind of like, you know, the Big Show or whatever. But no, they had to go just like this sasquatch angle and i i don't know what the fuck that had anything to do with anything but yeah just horrible horrible attire that it goes without saying and yeah how about you adam you like the rest of us you had this as your number one pick yeah like i said it took me less than a minute to come up with my number one um i'll just add uh didn't the bodysuit have a a butt crack on it Mm mm-hmm yeah, yeah. Done. so there's a butt crack in the body uh, the the bodysuit as well um as tony mentioned uh he was a basketball player so he and he looked like one um so my theory on the bodysuit is that he wasn't muscular enough or or, or big enough looking because you know vince has always been chasing that next andre ever since andre retired um and i think this was his first of many attempts to get the next Andre the Giant in, um, and the man was obviously, yes, very tall. Um, 
and was a basketball player, but didn't have that that uh, huge look in terms of like muscle look. So, oh, we'll just paint him on, pal. You know, <laughs> uh, I think Vince had some sort of airbrushing contract with wrestlers back then too, because uh, obviously Rick Rude with his tights, and then um, Ultimate Warrior. I remember wearing a bodysuit similar to that at one point in time, which made no sense, seeing as how the Ultimate Warrior looked all the time. Uh, muscled out so but uh yeah it was just uh you're right again um you know obviously when he made his debut i remember gorilla monsoon going wow look he's taller than the undertaker which of course was true but you know um you just you couldn't get into it because you're just like you like you guys said you're just so transfixed that why does he have fur why does he have a butt crack painted on him why does he have muscles painted on him uh i mean it was just a complete disaster the minute he walked through and it was exacerbated by the fact that yes unfortunately for him he couldn't work worth the shit that uh I don't remember who was on our worst WrestleMania uh, match list. I think it was. Uh, oh, yeah, Undertaker it was. and him at WrestleMania mm-hmm. 9, um, and, and for good reason. It, it, and, again, we all know The Undertaker is probably the most decorated WrestleMania performer, if not in the top three for sure. Um, and it wasn't because of him. Uh, the, the man is the most loyal soldier I've ever met because having the Russell guys like – like Giant Gonzalez uh, at that time uh, must have had to be disheartening for his career, just getting such shit matches out of people. Um, again, I don't want to disrespect the uh, the deceased. Um, and again, uh, you know, we said earlier, you know, guys got to make a living, feed his family. But uh, I mean, again, just a complete distracting disaster the minute you walk. He walked through the curtain, and and again, you just wonder how these things make it out of the gorilla position into the arena. Yeah, well, this one did, and it becomes number one on our list. Our worst ring attire of all time belongs to Giant Gonzalez with a unanimous number one pick, 30 points. All right, well, that's our list for this week, gentlemen. Like we do every week, let's go back through our list. Let's count them back down from number 10 to number one. At number 10, we had a tie, each pick coming in with seven points between Saba Simba and the Shockmaster. At number nine, we had also coming in with seven points, but beating out Saba Simba and the Shockmaster via tiebreaker, we had the Johnsons. At number eight, with eight points, we had Brutus the Barber Beefcake. At number seven, with nine and a half points, we had the Portuguese Man of War, Aldo Montoya. At number six, with 10 points, we had Oz. At number five, with 12 points, we had Max Moon. At number four, with 14 points, we had Mantar. At number three, with 14 and a half points, we have Farouk Assad. At number two, with 27 points, our unanimous number two pick, Bastion Booger. And at number one, a unanimous number one with 30 points, Giant Gonzalez. All right, like I said, that's our picks for our worst ring attire of all time. 
Bob, what do you think of the list? Do you think it's a fair representation of some of the worst <laughs> wardrobes ever worn in professional wrestling history? Oh, most definitely. Uh, I think, like we said at the beginning of the show, these these worst lists are, are always a lot of fun um, just because we, we get to point out the crap that we were subjected to when we were younger in the world of wrestling. But when you look up and down the list, I mean, it's it's a very good representation of what you know, what that, what word it is that we were talking about trying to get across and also happy that I got a PN news reference in there. So I'm good. Nice. Nice. I was depressed. I didn't get, uh, make a difference Fatu reference. And, but, oh, wait, I just did. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Oh man. How about you, Adam? What do you say about, uh, this particular list? You happy with it? Did make a difference, Fat Two have an airbrush jacket too? Dude, everybody had airbrushed everything. Yeah, I forgot about Jimmy Hart. How could I forget about Jimmy Hart's? Yeah, that too. The mission had one. Well, of course. Oh, yeah. Right. Dude, air, airbrush, airbrushing was like I the told shit you. Back Vince then. had some some airbrush person or contract or something. Um, getting back to your original question. Um, yeah, it's it's a tremendous list. Uh, yeah, we we hit all hit all the big ones and talked about a few that I had forgotten about. I'm glad I got to mention Dusty's polka dots because it really pisses me off. And um, have we ever had a unanimous number two before? I don't think so. I think this is our first unanimous number yeah. two. That's pretty awesome. It's definitely so, our first unanimous number one and unanimous number two. In yeah, the I know we've episode. had unanimous ones before, but I don't think it two. So that's that's pretty cool, too. Yeah. But, yeah what was that about? I said, yeah, never a one and two in the same episode. Yeah, we've never had that. Yeah, that's so. That's that's uh, that's great. We were on the same wavelength there, but uh, yeah, uh, yeah, definitely a fun one. And yeah, there's some, yeah, there's some great names on there. Dynamic dudes was another one. I forgot about them. Yeah, they, what dorks? Yeah, nerds. Dynamic dudes. Nerds. Yeah, but there we go. Our ma- our list there, our top 10 worst wrestling attires of all time. All right. Well, that's going to do it for the show tonight. But before we do, like we do every week, let's give you our match of the week picks. These are matches that we, as the host, pick for you guys to watch before next week's episode. In the meantime, in between time before next week's episode, uh, I said that we were going to reference one of the matches from dynamite later because I had a feeling that it was going to be our, another unanimous pick for this week for our match of the week. Are, am I right in assuming this gentleman that we all have the same uh, match of the week to, to suggest for this week? Yeah. I think it just meant, you know, whoever got the call first would have said it, I think. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Of course we're talking about the opening match from this past week's dynamite the dream match that a lot of people have been waiting for between Brian Danielson and Kenny Omega. Yeah, that dude, I, I left it on Facebook on the fan page too. You know, if you call yourself a professional wrestling fan, you owe it to yourself to watch that match. It was a thing of beauty. And I, I, I was following along on Twitter as it was going on. And just the raves that everybody was having about this match, just beautifully constructed, beautifully, you know, 
outperformed anybody who doubted Kenny Omega and uh, you know his his abilities anymore in the ring because there have been a lot of people who have been you know kind of shitting on Kenny lately, you know, and the fact that he was uh, the PWI number one again or he was a PWI number one this year. A lot of people were giving him shit for that. But after watching this match, man, that guy still has it and he still has it in spades. He pulled out, he was one half of what should, what could be my match of the year so far this year, AEW itself, you know, they have had just within the last few weeks, my number one in one a picks for match of the year with the, you know, the, the uh, cage match title match uh, between the um, the Lucha brothers and the young books at all out and this match. God damn. And, and Brian Danielson, you know, wrestling for the first time since WrestleMania in his first match in AEW, that guy put it all out there too. This is just a hell of a fucking match. And we were talking about it before we came on the air, you know, of course it ends in a, in a time limit draw and, you know, just, the fact that AEW is bringing back time limit draws makes me happy because when was the last time you saw a match end on a time limit draw? You know, it's just a thing of beauty. I loved every second of it. Just a great fucking match. Uh, Bob, what did you have to say about uh, the Danielson Omega match? Yeah, I remember when I was watching it, I texted you guys afterwards just saying, holy shit, like that was amazing. Um yeah and what you mentioned like the same thing uh i like that when it came time to the draw actually occurring it it was them two in the middle of the ring going at it it wasn't you know false finish after false finish after false finish like most you know um time limit draws occur and uh you always think that like the referee's counting one two and then about to hit that three and then the the, the match is over because the time limit's over no they were in the middle of the ring and they were going at it and they could have still done more um but it was just enjoyable Uh, it was great to see daniel bryan going at it because everyone was always worried about his uh his health that i loved how even the announcers you know saying everything oh you know he's had spine issues in the past and they kept bringing it up i love the storytelling of the match you know kenny omega just going after you know daniel bryan's back the entire time in his neck and just you know focusing on that and and the the chopping in between both of them and it was just Mm. fast paced back and forth and it was just what a a perfect match should be yeah yeah i can both of their chests looked like fucking hamburger meat after that match too. Um, Adam, what do you have to say about the match? Um, again, uh, you said it on the Facebook page. Anyone who's into the sport, um, this is this is must see TV. And even to those who who or who or hate on professional wrestling, like you know, people ask, you know, why do you like it? It was all summed up in thirty minutes. There just you know, just the work they put in, the the drama, the, you know, not knowing what was going to happen next and, and just some of the crazy stuff they pulled out, you know, like, uh, you know, you just mentioned Daniel or Brian Danielson with the spine issues and he takes a snapdragon on a fucking ramp. That's insane. Um, again, uh, the, the, before they even did anything, the crowd was, the, the crowd was a big part of it too. I mean, the crowd was just, super hyped for this before they lock up and they're going nuts 
Um, and then, and then, you know, the, the whole boo yay thing when, you know, you know, Omega would, would chop Danielson boo and then Danielson would chop back. Yay. It was just, uh, they, they, they worked very tight, very, you know, very stiff, you know, with the chops, as you mentioned and, and everything else, but uh, it was just, uh, again, just the drama, the unpredictability of it, the, the, the execution of the maneuvers, um, just everything that makes professional wrestling great was was on display in this match. I really like too that you know obviously uh, Don Callis is the uh, the heel manager for Kenny and, and and interjects himself or you know the elite members come out and it was just a one on one. Callis just stood and watched and uh, these guys just laid it all out there and and again for anyone kind of crowing about oh it was a draw there wasn't a winner this this is just the beginning i think this sets up uh a, a rematch or two as as far as it goes you know again um omega had just lost the impact title to christian so you didn't want him to lose yet another match um and you wanted danielson to come in strong too so you didn't want him to have to lose uh, so I, I, uh, at first I kind of had the knee jerk reaction. People had all, oh, there's no winner, but, the, but when you look back at it and you think about the result, I think it was the perfect way to go. Cause even though Kenny Omega is getting on social media saying, uh, no rematch, uh, uh, that's obviously just the work. And I think there's more matches to come and I can't wait to see him. Yeah. I mean, neither. I mean, if, if this is what they do on live TV, imagine what the, stops to pull out on a fucking pay-per-view i can't well, wait when that's another point too is you know people oh it is like wcw you're giving it away for free and it's like okay i but again you know it's not over well that's the thing too and what a lot of people need to realize is aew isn't putting on a pay-per-view every month like wwe is mm-hmm. you know they they do what like four pay-per-views a yeah. year right Yep. So, yeah, a lot of their big matches are going to be on Dynamite and Rampage because that's that's their TV. You know, if they want to build up to something bigger at one of their pay-per-views, that's fine. But I don't think there's anything wrong with giving away really good matches on on regular broadcast TV. That's that's just building up your name. And that's hey, if we could get more matches like Danielson versus Omega, I'm all fucking for it, man. So, yeah. There we go. Our match of the week this week, uh, unanimous, unanimous pick from all three of us, is the opening match from this past week's Dynamite, the match between Brian Danielson and Kenny Omega. Oh, yeah, I have to. I just have to mention that running V-trigger yeah. from the ramp onto Danielson. <laughs> Holy shit, man. I, that was awesome. But, uh, yeah, there we go, our, our match of the week. All right. Well, that's going to do it for this week. I want to thank you guys for listening. We really appreciate the support and we want to hear from you. We want to hear any comments, suggestions, anything you have, please drop us a line so we can communicate with you. You can do that one of two ways. You can write us an email. Uh, Our email address is enhancementtalent316 at gmail.com. Again, that email address is enhancementtalent.com. 316 at gmail.com or you can do what a lot of people do and that's get in touch with us through our facebook fan book our facebook fan page uh just go on facebook look up the enhancement talent and me bob and adam are all admins so if you you know go and click on the uh join button we'll 
Edge is a member, and you can interact with us there. So there we go. All right. Well, like I said, that's our week. That's our show this week. Thank you guys for listening. And for the Warsaw Blonde himself, Adam Kulavik, and for the other half of the fabulous Lopez cousins, Dr. Bob Lopez, I'm Tony Lopez, and we will see you guys again next week. Have a good week. Have a safe week. We'll see you then. Good night.